Hi friends, you're listening to Autism and Us with me, Maisie. When my son was diagnosed with autism at the age of four, I didn't know anything about autism. Oh wait, I'd seen Rain Man in the 80s. At the beginning, I felt devastated, isolated and afraid. Diagnosis day, the darkest of my life. It wasn't the masses of written information I was given that helped me. It was sharing stories with other Spectrum parents I met along the way, giving me tips and advice, and most importantly, made me feel like I'm not alone. I am no expert and don't claim to be. I'm a parent at the start of my journey. Each episode, I will be talking to a parent or a close family member of someone with autism, and they will share their story from the early years to diagnosis to present day. Hello everyone, this is Maisie. I just wanted to check in to wish you all a happy Christmas and new year. This year has gone incredibly fast, and I wanted to let you know that Autism and Us, the podcast, is taking a little break over the festive period, and hopefully we will be back early 2020. I want to thank all of my previous guests. Without them, this wouldn't be possible. And as always, uh, my lovely co-producer, Kit, who makes this all happen. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening. It really means so much to me. Happy Christmas. Today, I'm joined by Kate Wilds. Kate is the director of the Sunrise Programme and has dedicated her life to working with children on the autistic spectrum. I was really intrigued to hear Kate's story and her passion really comes through when she talks about her work. If you want to learn more about the programme, I'll pop a link in the show notes of this podcast, but I think you'll agree when you hear how Kate got involved, it really seems like it was meant to be. Kate is also an author, having written Autistics Logistics and most recently published The Autism Language Launcher. I really hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Kate. Hi, Maisie. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Um, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. And I wanted to start with where you grew up and also what the catalyst was, the inspiration for your decision to, well, when you decided I want to work with autistic children. Yeah, well, um, I grew up in London, right? So I'm kind of a Londoner. I, I was... I lived there until I was 24, till I went to the States. And um, actually, it's kind of a really cool story. And feel free to interrupt me every now and then, Maisie, because okay. I, I, might, I, I do tend to love to talk. I so love if- a talker. <laughs> okay. So, um, but uh, when I was 13, I was living in London, England. And um, me and my sister, you know, but, well, you probably don't because I did – have the good fortune to just see you and you look way too young for this but um, <laughs> no, I'm not. I just when I was 13 we used to have those great big you know VHS videos you used to go to a video store and actually <laughs> borrow rent a video and um, me and my sister we rented the video Sunrise A Miracle of Love and what that movie was it was an NBC movie uh, about the life of um Bez and Samaria Kaufman and the story of how they had a child an autistic child who was diagnosed in the 70s which is a long time ago uh, at age two is severely autistic and they didn't like any of the programs and any you know because it was a long time ago then any of the uh, the ways that people helped children with autism back then. So what they decided to do is create their own program for their child. And this was the movie of that. So I've read a little bit about um, 
your you know your journey to how you've come to be where you are today and um it's we'll we'll go on we'll go into it but it's actually really cool how it kind of comes full circle but then I read you started to work at sort of summer schools and and you'd you'd hope that you would come across a a child with autism and 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 actually you did and it was a girl that you first met yes 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 and tell me about that yes uh so I worked in um you know summer schools and there was a beautiful girl, and she uh, she was actually taller than me. I think she was 14 or 15. And um, she wore a helmet because she loved to bang her head. And um, she also wore these very special shoes that um, were like extraordinary high heels because she loved to walk on her toes. Mm-hmm. And um, we were each assigned a child, and I had the great good fortune to be assigned her. And um, as soon as she saw me, she just like got me in a headlock and charged out out the door <laughs> and around the field. And she came, she followed this white line around the field. Now I was exhilarated to uh, finally meet a child with autism. And I remembered the two things from the movie. One is to really love and accept what the child is doing and really get into it and be excited about it. So as as I was being charged around, I kept thinking, okay, so love the walking, love the walking, love the white line. And, um, like like we, she did. Yeah, just like she did, because that's what she wanted to do. And um, she was assigned to me the whole time that summer because when she was with me, she never banged her head. So we could take the helmet off and it was just a, a wonderful experience for me and it really solidified what I'd learned from the movie as well. I find it so magical that this movie had such an impact on you and and you studied music, didn't you, at, at university at first? Yes, yes, I did. That was what I was good at. And, you know, I wasn't very academic at that time anyway. And... um I thought I might become a music therapist. Mm. Uh, but then, you know, at the end of college, I, w- I was just itching to work one-on-one with uh, children with autism. And um, But, you know, with the bureaucracy of England and actually any country, really, you had to go back to school and you had to do a master's and you couldn't actually get to children until you till you'd done more qualifications. Mm. So I decided to scrap that idea And I had read a book called Bobby, The Breakthrough of an Autistic Child by Dr. Rachel Pinney. (laughs) And in my wonderful, naive way, I said, oh, I'm just going to go work with this person. Tell tell me about Rachel. Tell me about who she was. And she sounds fascinating. Rachel Pinney was an amazing, genius kind of woman. And she was very, I guess, avant-garde for her time. And what she created was this, these things called children's hours. And um, she worked with a lot of her children who were emotionally disturbed, who had been abused. And she worked with a whole bunch of delightful, wonderful children with autism. And that's what drew me to her. To her. And she actually worked out of a council flat in next door in Kentish Town, next door to Pentafort Prison. And... Um, Loads of people would come to her and seek help, loads of parents. And I I called her up and asked if I could work with her. And she said yes. She was like 80, 80 at the time I met her. That's so cool. You just called her up. That's, that's very um, ambitious. I know, I know. Well, I was determined. And um, she was very eccentric, as they say. We had a, my interview with her. She was actually in the bath. <laughs> and... Um, 
it didn't face me. And I sat down and I talked to her. And at the end of it, she says, yes, I think you're, you're a nice young girl. I think you could volunteer here. And then she said, because um, you've passed the test. And I'm like, well, what test is that? <laughs> and she said, well, I, you know, you might have noticed I was in the bath. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I did notice. And she said, well, I like to do unusual things to see how people react because the children that you will be working with do such unusual things. I don't want people who will judge them. Or, or run away, basically. Yeah, yeah, get their buttons pushed yeah. and get hot and bothered or cross or something. Yeah. So that was great. And she taught me a lot about really the beauty of really accepting uh, children as they are and not trying to change them and really meeting them and seeing the splendor of who they are right now. And when kind of in the timeline, when did you meet this family who were going to the United States to participate in the special program um, that that we, we now know as the Sunrise program? Well, amazingly enough, I just arrived at Rachel's clinic and the this family were asking these other people to, you know, people who'd been there a lot longer, to uh, that they were going to America and would anyone come with them as a support? And as I was listening them to asking all these people, all these people said no. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, maybe they'll ask me. But, you know, I was so down on the totem pole. And eventually they did ask me, would I come with them? And of course, I had no idea where I was going. No idea. But I, I, you know, I just wanted to learn everything I could. So I'm like, yes, yes, I'll go. And literally, literally, it was like four days later. Amazing. I was on an airplane going to Massachusetts. And um, it wasn't actually until the second day that I was at that program. Because then they wheeled in the trolley with the TV on and put in Sunrise. A Miracle of Love, the movie. And I realized that I was at the same center that was run by the same family that was depicted in the movie that that I, I watched all those years ago that inspired me in the first place to, you know, work with children. So it was very much a do-do-do. Yeah, that's, that's really meant to be really, isn't it? Full circle. Um, I, I believe so. Life had a, had a plan for you. And you were there in the right place. So you remained in America since then. Have you been there living in America since then? Because I now know we're skipping a bit in time. We'll go back. But you're now the director, aren't you? I'm the director of the Sunrise Program. So I've I've been working full time for the Autism Treatment Center of America for now 28 years. Oh, my God. I know. (laughs) So so for for our listeners, because obviously... um, each child with autism is different, uh, but they all um, share similar traits in, in varying degrees. How would you describe um, autism to, to our listeners yourself? Well, um, for a start, I love children and adults with autism. I think they're the most amazing, fantastic, intelligent, sweet, gentle beings. And, you know, I, I, I just feel so honored to have met so many of them. And so basically what we believe and that we've come to know in, in all of our experiences that the, the biggest challenge that a person with autism has and faces is uh, relational. The biggest difficulty is them being able to be social and relate to another person. Mm-hmm. So their challenge isn't intellectual. It isn't academic. 
Um, so the Sunrise program, which is the which is a home based program, because we empower parents to work directly with their children, because we believe parents are the most effective and the best thing, the best resource their child has. So they, we they re- are the experts of their own child, really, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. I mean, parents know more than anybody, more than any any expert at all about their children. And they have the most love and dedication for their children and they have the most time to give them. So we we like to go straight to empower parents to work directly with their children. So the Sunrise Program, we focus 100 percent on social uh, social interaction, which is really about stepping into their world and really getting them um, interested in who they are and what they like to do. So a lot of programs see uh, autistic behaviors as a problem. Like I, I know a lot of your listeners will understand the word stimming, mm. right? Mm. When our children do their wonderful repetitious activities that they like to do again and again. And um, we actually call that an ism. Uh, an but, ism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We call it because Samaria, who invented the program, created the program, the mother of Ron, she, when she heard uh, professionals talk about stims, they did it in what she believed was such a negative way. Mm. And they were always, always trying to stop the ism. They saw it as getting in the way of their children's development. And they saw it as strange and not nice. And she wanted to have a completely different word for it because we want to see our children's isms completely free of judgment. I mean, everyone's sort of um, stimming all the time, but in a lesser degree. It's like if I touched my nose every time I was nervous and everyone told me to stop doing that. And why, why would I, you know, why would I, it's something that helps me cope or anything. And everyone's always doing things, aren't we? We're biting our nails or, but the, these kind of actions are more exaggerated, obviously. But again, yes, why would I want to stop something that they actually enjoy doing? That's right. That's right. And if we want to create a deeper relationship, because we want to help them with their interactive attention span, you know, being able to look at people and talk to people and understand you know, the social mores of the world, that's what we really want to help our children with, you know, be able to have a conversation, be able to play a game with a person. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the heart and soul of what I think every parent really wants. They want to hear what their child is thinking and wanting, and they want that connection. We work with children and adults of any age, of any diagnosis, of any where, and they're all over the spectrum from being not verbal yet to being fully, fully verbal. Mm-hmm. Uh, worked with, a, you know, a wonderful young woman who was 26. She had a job. She could drive a car. She called her car her horse. <laughs> and, um, and I've w- worked with a 56-year-old man and an 18-month-old baby. So, yes, it, it's effective for any wherever you are on the spectrum. As long as you have a parent or a caregiver, I, I, you know, I work with sisters and brothers who have taken their ch- their sisters out of institutions at the age of 30 and started programs for them. I mean, it's very, very moving. And how long does it take? So say if I came with my son, Charlie, um, and then you would visit our home and then we, you would have sessions. Uh, how does it sort of work in um, real kind of real life? Yes. Well, we have a program called the Startup Program. Mm-hmm. And so parents come to it. We Our next one that's closest to England is in February in Ireland. So oh, very, really? 
But yes, me and Ron, who is the child who was the first original Sunrise Program child, he's teaching with me. So we travel the world together and we teach together. And and so you'll get to see him. That's incredible that you actually met, that you actually now work with the boy who is in that film. I know, and like, and he's my best friend, basically. Oh and God, so God. is his sister, is my best friend, and and the whole family. Yes, it is incredible. It's an incredible story. It is. I'm so blessed by it. So blessed. So the parents would come to you, and they would kind of say, "These are the the, the biggest sort of um, hurdles my my child faces in terms of their autism diagnosis." Well, what we do is we teach a five-day program, like a seminar, and it's quite an amazing program where we teach everything a parent would need to know to go home and set up their program in their own home. And what's that? What's the program in their own home? Yes. So we would uh, would help them know how to work with their child in all areas of what we believe is uh, their core issues, which is we have four fundamentals that we work on, which is... um, uh, uh, interactive attention span, right? So that's a back and forth between another person, an exchange between other two people, and then um, a verbal communication, uh, eye contact on nonverbal communication, and flexibility. Mm-hmm. And so we would uh, teach families to know, to you know, to create a room in their own house and to begin sessions with their with their child, how to notice what their children's green lights and their children's red lights and um, be able to begin their program. And we also talk and help families with all the other challenges that they have, such as tantrums and hitting and sleeping and eating and all the other parenting things that, that happen. So if families want to know about it, they can go to our website, which is autismtreatment.org. Okay. We had a guest on the podcast for last series, or actually first series, and his name is Henry Normal. And he's, yeah, so he spoke to us. So he brought his wife and his son, Johnny, to um, the treatment center in in the US. And he remembers that five day seminar at the beginning where he basically, they asked the parents to sit next to each other and turn to each other and talk to each other as if they were their child or yeah I think that was it and he said he just started crying because he realized you know this person sitting opposite him was like totally different to him totally different walks of life but they were sort of brought together by by autism well I have to say that is one of the most moving things because often in the programs that we teach we probably have you know families from all over the world from you know sometimes from 15 different countries and everyone is united together you know through the common the commonality of they love somebody with autism and they leave with best friends for the rest of their lives and we have the an, an most enormous global community of of parents doing the sunrise program with their children and i remember henry i love him i love <laughs> yeah he's great his his son's now a um he exhibits his own art He's an artist now. I think he's about 20 now. Um, yeah. But yeah, go- gorgeous, gorgeous. And he he explained the, which seemed quite, you know, something that we I've, I'd not heard of before. Um, I, I've actually seen another little story on YouTube about twins uh, in yeah. the boy twins who they, they, they did the Sunrise program in the UK and it, it really helped them with their, um, behaviors and their parents are able to enjoy them but I, I remember Henry Normal saying that 
they you did the white room which was you basically take away all distraction so you're just you two together can you explain kind of the ideology behind that well yes the idea is um a lot of our children as i know most people who are listening understand this is they they experience the world very different than we do so sounds can be very overwhelming for them maybe they're hearing things come at them all at the same time or in a much louder than we hear them uh touch can be very sensitive for children so sometimes if you just touch them gently that can actually be painful for them. Mm. Things are coming at them unexpected. So their anxiety levels can be quite high when they're outside and out and about. And it can be very confusing for them. So we teach families to create a room within their own house that is free of distractions. And that where we can black out as many as we can of the sensory overload that our children have. Mm. So two things happen. One is that they can just Ah, relax, right? Because they don't have to protect themselves from the sounds or people bumping into them uh, or the overload. So immediately we see our children's anxiety levels go down. And when you feel really anxious and your cortisone levels are up, you can't learn. It's Mm -hmm. just really hard to learn when when you're in that state. And then... uh, we, we do suggest to take all the pictures down and have, um, have it non-distracting because our children get distracted by the tiniest little things. That's true. I know. It's great. So what we want to do is we want to create an environment that's user-friendly for them and that we can be the center stage because, after all, we're trying to help them connect with, with people more. Mm. So if there's nothing on the walls that's interesting for them, right, and we don't have any electronic you know, musical things in there where you, you, know, you press a button and the fire engine goes, woo, 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 woo. <laughs> yeah. All those talking, talking books or the iPhone or anything like that. So if something moves, it's us that move. If something sings or plays an instrument or I put my hand in a puppet, I suddenly become the center stage here. So it becomes, it's easier for my child to digest another person, look at another person, be with another person. And in this room also we can create it where we can always say yes to our children, which is I know that loads of parents always say to me, I feel like a policeman with my child because every time I'm out, he's trying to eat other people's food in the restaurant (laughs) across the road or the teachers keep saying he won't sit down. That gets to me the most. I think I I was laughing with Kit the other day because, you know, sometimes – when you have when I have a child like Charlie you have to laugh at some things because otherwise you know have humor and I sometimes I sit in the garden and I just continuously say no 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 because he's (laughs) he's going because he likes to um you know pick at the fence which obviously he doesn't realize that that's not cool um so yeah I spend my whole time saying no no and that's one thing that's helped me the most um 
so when Charlie was first diagnosed, he would have terrible sensory meltdowns and almost, uh, you know, because I hadn't stepped into his world yet, I just didn't understand. And I, it's hard to kind of change the way you think because you've never had to. Um, and then suddenly I, you know, I was reading some books and I realized, okay, so I'll have a low sensory sp space for him where it's kind of dark. Um, there's not a lot of things on the walls where he can go. And actually you take all of that sensory sort of attack away and you see the the child that you know who they really are because actually who they are when they're outside and you know you hear parents saying oh you know I, I took my my kid to the park and they had another massive meltdown I don't know what I'm going to do and unfortunately you have not unfortunately but you have to say to those parents well actually you you have to change they're they're not going to change um it, you know then that's always going to be with them their sensory their difficulties you, you're the one that's going to have to mold around mold around them well, I think a couple of things. One is I think that, uh, you know, when we have children, we believe that taking them to the park and birthday parties and all of this is giving them a treat, mm -hmm. right? For our children, they experience it so differently. It's actually not a treat, you know. And for us, just like you said, and I I, I get this a lot from, from loads of parents, is you have to say no so many times. And imagine how that feels for our children who are having difficulty relating everyone around them is saying no more than they're saying yes. I know, so it makes me really sad. Charlie gets down about it, I can tell he does, because he can't help what he's doing. He's not doing, he's never, you know, these children, they're never malicious, are they? They're never doing anything to be annoying. Always a reason, but the great thing about the Sunrise program and the room is that you can create a space where you can say yes. <laughs> because in your playroom, there's nothing that they can get into that would hurt themselves. They can ism as much as they want. And then we become the people who can say yes to them. That's really lovely. And then the other thing that I want to suggest and just put out there, which I know is very controversial in England. <laughs> and I, you know, I've come back to England and I'm living here now. So I really want to kind of change or at least have a voice in the landscape of autism and parents and treatment here, and uh, which is that our children can change and they can learn and they can grow. Mm -hmm. So there is so much you can do to help them with their sensory input challenges. They don't have to have these challenges all the time. There are children like, you know, your beautiful Charlie, who you said, will he ever be able to say yes or no? Well, obviously, we we don't know what the future lies like i'm not i can't predict the future but i can but i can i know that there is every possibility for given the right environment for him that and given the opportunities that absolutely he can he can learn to say yes and no and and uh, you know rewire his brain because the great thing about charlie i mean i hope i meet him one day sounds wonderful i hope so too yeah uh, is that um he already has a lot of language because he he used to be able to speak. Yes, and, and he understands it pretty much. I mean, he if I say, can you go over there and, God, it sounds awful that I'm saying this, but pass me the remote. <laughs> he, he does it. He does it straight away. Oh, and, and so many, there's so much to say, but. He's but my what, little remote getter. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what I wanted to say is that um, what what the challenge is, is helping our children be able to connect. And oftentimes people aren't focusing on that. They're focusing on getting their children to um, to do tasks mm. and 
to match numbers and to write and to read and to do these things. And they're missing really the whole point is if, let's say with Charlie, if we can help him connect and we can put him in an environment where he can relax enough to start learning and connecting, then there's going to be times when that language is absolutely going to come back. But we've, we've got to do it at his at his pace we've got to meet him where he is totally that that's the base level isn't it and people say oh you know when will they when will they read when will they write and I always think that you need need to get the basic like the base level of communication there where they want to yeah they want to connect and they can connect yes and in the sunrise program like uh we have children who are like dragging their parents back into the therapy room because they love it so much I would like to see a revolution in England in terms of allow really seeing the power of parents and really the uh, the whole focus going to helping and training parents more how to help their children because there's nobody better than you guys to help your children and to have much more support that way because I don't, I don't think parents are seen as valuable uh, it's all about professionals and uh, quite honestly professionals don't don't know your child as well as you know your child and a lot of parents don't a lot of professionals don't have the type of experience um, at least that that sunrise program professionals do I mean I'm I've worked with over 1,500 different children I've literally played for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and literally thousands <laughs> of hours with all sorts of children and I've been in so many sits uh, similar situations um, and I draw from that so um, and sometimes you know as a parent you have to say enough is enough I'm going to take charge of this mm. and luckily uh, you have time after school and on the weekends to do things there's a lot of time there and if I can shamelessly talk about two my books because Please, cause I wanted to yeah that was my next question so um, you're you're an author as well um, yeah. you have a uh, written two books so could you please um talk to me about those books yes and um the the one thing i love about these books is because they're they will literally tell you what to do <laughs> so um, <Right>. it's their <laughs> theory i mean obviously i talk about why we do what we do and it's all within the the ethos of the sunrise program and really loving and accepting our children and creating a really loving environment for them However, it tells you exactly what to do. So you could literally read these books and then immediately, five minutes later, get on the floor with your child and put them into practice, right? Mm. And the, the one, my most recent one is called the Autism Language Launcher. So uh, you talked about how you can help, you know, Charlie with communication and verbal communication. So this is perfect for you if you would like to read it if you give me your address i'll send you a copy yes a signed copy please yes a Thanks. signed copy you will get it <laughs> i'm collecting them yes. <laughs> um, um so so what was the um so this is sort of based on your thousands of hours experience working with children that were nonverbal, pre-verbal um who are now using verbal communication um yes. so how 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 would you start what's i mean obviously getting them relaxed is that kind of where you where you want parents to work towards first before they start sort of putting anything into practice yes well um first of all you would start with what they like okay so i would so charlie loves straws straws oh my god that's his favorite thing in the world he's just realized that you can suck drinks out of them as well so now he won't have anything without a straw tea with a straw 
everything. Well, that's great. What does he do with the straw? He he flaps the straw. So you know the um, he's not he's obviously not interested in saving the world because he only likes plastic straws. So I must be the only person in the world who bulk buys. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Um, but he likes, you know, the kind of bit in the middle that's kind of like accordion-like where it kind of, yeah, know, he loves that bit and then he'll kind of flap it and then he'll wrap it in a ball and then watch it sort of fling out. See what I mean? Oh, oh so he likes, to, he likes to watch things. Yeah, and he likes to put it in his mouth and make it into a little ball and then he'll take it out and like f make it straight again. I mean, it's at its hours. He'll spend, he'll, he could spend all day with a box of straws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so that's what I would call his ism, okay? Right. So the first thing to know when you're like helping your child with verbal communication is that our children, and I explain this in depth in the book, our children are either giving us a red light or a green light. So in the case of the wonderful Charlie with his straw thing, which I would love to do, I would see that as a red light. Okay, that would be his ism. So when our children are giving us red lights, what we would do is we would uh, join in with that. And it's when they're giving us green lights that we'd work on communication. So for instance, let me ask you this. When, you're, when he's connecting with you, like does he like to be tickled? Does he like to be chased or spun around? Does he like to watch things in the air? What does he like? He likes to be um, tickled and hung upside down. Oh my God, I'll say that. Okay. <laughs> then when he's deciding to connect with you because he wants you to hang him upside down, right? Yeah, so he'll grab my arm, my, grab my hands and he'll put them underneath his arms, which to say, yeah. and now I want you to hang me upside down. Okay, so it's in those moments. We call these moments green lights. He's, um, you know, he's taking your hand. He's showing you he wants something. He's giving you physical contact. Maybe he looks at you as well. giving contact maybe he says some sounds all of these are green lights so in that moment when there's a green light those are the moments that we can work on verbal communication not on the red lights only on the green lights That's and this is this is the important thing to get which is when our children are on a red lights they're in overload mode their brain is kind of like closed for business right, right? So we do we join them we get our own straw and munch on it and put it in a ball and yeah. really have fun with that and then when he connects and he's we don't have to get him to connect because at some point he's going to come to you let's say and want this upside down thing yeah so that when that happens you can you can put one word to it like um so i do i do um so i've been trying the one two three and then he, he has to say go if he wants okay. it um yeah. but again it's that thing of it's, it's really bad because sometimes I, I he'll say it and then I'll sort of push it more but then I know just don't push it because that will make him anxious if I keep asking him to repeat it well what we want is fun right so yeah, I yeah. would probably pick a word that if he says it to somebody else they'll know what it means right because mm -hmm. I've had lots of people lots of lovely wonderful children and snuggle up to me and go 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 and I know <laughs> what you want right so you might want to pick a verb or a noun that best describes the, the game so you could put upside upside down I see right? I want it to be a very easy experience so I'm going to cheer him <gasps> thank you for coming to me I'm, I'm going to give him the game upside down upside down upside down I'm going to say the word again and again upside down upside down upside down upside down upside down and I'm gonna so I want to play it I want to just say that word again and again and again and again and 
give it to him. And maybe on the fourth time we're playing this game, I might stop before I'm going to get to him and say, say upside down. Because he's heard it so many times and it's, he knows I'm going to give it to him. It might be easier. I often experience this easier than for children to go into their brains and pluck out an approximation to that. Right. Now, any attempt he makes at it, I'm going to cheer him and give it to him again. So any right? attempt, because even if it's not perfect. I, the idea is it's more important, actually, that he loves this green light. He loves interacting with you and finds it's easy to interact with you than it is he says the word, right? right. So because we want him to want to come back to us as many times as possible. And so sometimes what happens and a thing that uh, people often do is as soon as they get their child's attention, because it's like, it's amazing when we get the attention, right? Mm -hmm. uh, is people challenge too soon. And so they make it instantly difficult. I've children. been guilty of that, definitely. Yeah, and everybody is, really, I think. Because it, you're so, you want to help them so much, right? Mm -hmm. As soon as you feel that you can, you kind of jump on it. Versus what we really want to do is really, really help them know that people are easy to be with. Because... The thing about special kids uh, uh, that I think is challenging for them is that everybody they meet is trying to get them to do something different. <laughs> mm. Everyone they meet is trying to, get to, te to stop them doing something or teach them something. And imagine if you had that 24-7. Someone was always trying to get you to do something different. You, just, you would just like move away from people. Yeah, that's, that's kind of Charlie's very much he gets so anxious with any sort of demand. Like even if I say, Charlie, if he's in the garden, he'll, or I'll go up to him and say, Charlie, he'll run away. Cause he thinks, oh God, what is she gonna ask me to do? I might not be able to do it or um, demand, demand, demand. Yeah, everyone's demand, so demanding of him all the time. So first of all, you want to you want to be easy. You come to me. Oh, I love that you came to me. upside down. Yes, yes, upside down, upside down, upside down, upside down. And then obviously, I am going to challenge. But so once I know that he's really motivated by it, and I've given him, uh, I've made sure that it's easy for him. Then I'm going to ask him. But I'm always going to give him the upside down, whether he says it or not. I'm going to celebrate any attempt because if he really and all our children, if the, the if they want to keep coming back with us, then we'll have many, 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 many opportunities to ask again. Mm. So that's how you would do it. And then when, what? Because he's going to go back to his straw at some point, right? Yeah. He'll he'll want to pick up his straw again and to not see that as a bad thing, but to see that oh, like he's refueling, right? He's, he's going to go back to his his um straw because that's the way our children develop it means that he's overloaded again and he needs to do his ism in order to help himself get to another place where he could come and interact and and the magic really i think of helping our children is understanding that they're always going to go in between red lights and green lights and red lights and green lights and red lights and green lights and really recognizing the difference it's fascinating i wrote another book called Autistic Logistics, and it's a parent's guide to tackling bedtime, toilet training, tantrums, hitting, and other everyday challenges. And what this is, is this is really talks about all the issues that are outside the therapy room. Mm, the, so, ho the home kind of, yeah. The, yeah. 
Yes, yes, button pushing and oh, light switches. My word, light, light switches and, <laughs> and all of that stuff. And um, this is like five years old now, but it's like very relevant and it's quite. You know, I've had loads of stories from around the world of um, families have sent me letters uh, with their uh, with pictures of their children sleeping in their own bed at night and eating new foods and cleaning their teeth and getting dressed in the morning. And it's really about creating a stress-free, easy in environment uh, where our children, where we can help our children do you know, do what we know they can do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's no denying that it is hard work. And that, and I think that's some of the, uh, you know, hard work as in it's so little things that kind of parents of neurotypical children might take for granted or that their children will just pick up so easily. I mean, Charlie, I've been doing the toothbrush, kind of, we, we, I brush his teeth every night, obviously, and I sort of withhold the straw and I say when you brush your teeth you can have the straw and he'll sort of kind of laugh because he thinks that's quite funny um (laughs) which he's never done before I mean actually last night I did this and he was like laughing thinking god that's cheeky of mummy (laughs) yeah so yeah it's so sweet when you see you know because I got quite down obviously as a lot of parents might do when he first got diagnosed because I thought god you know what does the future hold but as you just yeah he's he's such a pure person that's the thing when he's happy he's happy when he's sad he's sad there's no sort of hiding with him how he feels um so so you're coming to so you've moved to the UK now is that for personal for work or kind of and around the world but now I do a lot of programs so, well, as I said, we're doing a program in Ireland mm. in February. Mm. And um, in a week's time, I'm going to, to pr- Japan to teach a program there. Oh, really? And uh, that's the Sunrise program in all different... That's, yep, the Sunrise program. And mm. then I go to America and I teach two two programs in America on our campus there. Okay. And then I go to Malaysia and I teach two programs in Malaysia. And then I come back and teach in Paris. So it's What about quite- London? I know. Well, actually, I want to, we want to do a program in London, definitely. Well, I'd like to, yeah, get, get involved. And I, I wanted to, <laughs> I, I would love, I've never been to, I've never been to Ireland. Oh, you're going to love, accent. the people who are running it are the best people in the world. They are so fun. Are they? Oh, yeah. I'd love to go. But I wanted to, to, um, I literally could talk to you all day and that's not even a lie, but I wanted to end this by saying thank you for all the work you've done over the years um, without people like you loving our children. Um, I don't know where they'd be or where we'd be, but I wanted to ask you if a parent comes to you with a recent diagnosis and they are full of um, kind of sadness and fear, what, what would you say to them? I would say that um, you can really live a happy, wonderful life with your child and your child can have a really happy, wonderful life and you're, you can have a really amazing family life together. I really feel that there aren't enough uh, messages out in the world that say having a special child and you're going to love your special child and have such a beautiful life together um so that's probably what i would say thank you kate and and the results are there to to prove it so um thank you so much and i will email you anyway so let's stay in touch 
Yes, email me and I'll send you the books. Give I'd love me to. I'm going to read both the books and I'm going to try the green light, red light when I get home, actually. So thank you so yes. much for that. It's really good to get practical advice. So thank you, Kate. You're so welcome, Macy. It's been such a pleasure and uh, I'll be in touch. Let's stay in touch. Okay. Hey, thank you for having me on. Autism is a spectrum condition. All autistic people share certain difficulties, but being autistic will affect them in different ways. Some autistic people also have learning disabilities, mental health issues, or other conditions, meaning people need different levels of support. All people on the autism spectrum learn and develop. With the right sort of support, all can be helped to live a more fulfilling life of their own choosing. To learn more about autism, you can visit the National Autistic Society website on autism.org.uk. This podcast was created, written, and edit produced by me, Maisie Clater. And the music that you hear in this podcast was written and produced by Kit Milsom, who also records and edits the show. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, maybe even write a little review and rate us.